You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. Yeah! What's up, Journey? How we doing? I, I love baseball. I love, I love it. Anybody here love baseball online, Lake County? I love baseball. And uh, yeah, go away, Mariners, as someone just said. Yeah, go away. Um, and so, you know, I grew, up play, I, lo- I grew up playing baseball. I loved, I was in Little League. I had two older brothers. We just played all the time. It felt like we played every day, inside, outside. My parents loved it when we played inside the house. And we just were guaranteed to break something. If we break something, it's a home run. Okay, that was our rule. We, we just... We played baseball all the time. I just, my heart for baseball just grew. I don't know what it was for you when you were younger that maybe a, a childhood dream, it just grew and it dreamed so big that I thought, man, maybe one day from Little League, maybe I could play in high school. And so sure enough, I was able to play high school baseball and, and loved it. Uh, I know I'm not an Eagle country, but I went to Edgewater, uh, go Eagles, Edgewater Eagles in the house, yes. Played Edgewater uh, four years and uh, towards the end of my high school career, I started having aspirations. I thought, man, maybe I could play at the next level. Maybe I could play in college. And then, and then I was really delusional. I was like, maybe I could play in the pros. <laughs> and hey, church, you know it's okay to dream. You know that's like, seriously? That's how things get done. And so I just, I've got to put dreams in my head. And I had plenty of offers to go pro, but I was like, no, I want to be a pastor at Journey. <laughs> I was like, no. And so I just want you to know, I gave that up for y'all. No big deal. Like, and, uh, and so my senior year was by far my best year. And I was, I was becoming a pretty good hitter. And, and really, I was known for just getting on base and not striking out. That was my thing. I just getting on base and not striking out. And, and I'll never forget, we had a good year. We were in the playoffs. And um, if we win this, last, this next game, we move on, we advance. If we lose, we go home. And we're playing against the Lake Mary Rams. Okay, we're playing against Lake Mary. And I'll, I'll never forget, there's a guy on second and third. This is, what, this is what we practice all the time in the backyard in Little League. Uh, wherever we were, we practice. Man, there's two outs. There's people on base. You're up to bat. If you, if you get a base hit, if you hit a home run, the game's over, you win. And if you don't, you go home. And I'll never forget, man, there's a guy on second and third and I'm up and we're playing the Rams and there's a guy on second and third base. There, the pitcher was there. I, I knew him or I knew of him and, and he was good, but nothing crazy. And, and I was known for getting on base and not striking out. And man, if, if anybody wanted anybody up at the bat, the, the coach, it, it may have been me on the team. And I was on fire that season and I get up and I strike out, not just to end our season, my last ever high school at bat was a strikeout. And I just want you to know, if you go to Lake Mary, the Lord is not with you, okay? <laughs> just, he has departed you, okay? I know that because I've prayed against you for years. And I mean, I struck out and I like, it was the first time I felt the weight of disappointment that big in my life. I let down my team, I let down myself and I feel like God wanted us to win. I let down God. (laughs) And listen, you're like, 
what are we doing here? You're talking about, you're talking about baseball. Like we're adults. What, it's not that big of a deal. When you're 17, 18, and that's your world, and not just your world, that's your idol, it was a big deal. And the weight of disappointment was, was big. And I don't, know, I don't know where you've struck out in life, but I think we've all struck out somewhere. Like, where have you blown it? And maybe it wasn't as trivial as a baseball game. Maybe, maybe it was a marriage, and you blew up a marriage. Maybe it was a career and you struck out a career. Maybe it was a relationship with a parent or a child. But I think if we've been following Jesus long enough, somewhere along the line, we strike out maybe in a small way or a big way. And so that's why today's message is how to bounce back after missing the game winning shot. That's it. How do we bounce back after missing the game-winning shot. And so listen, some of you are like, great, I, I came to church to get fired up and, and all the pastor wants to do is remind me of my failures. Listen, I'm not here to rub your nose in anything. What I wanna do is I wanna talk about, answer this question, how do we bounce back after we miss the game-winning shot? Because all of us have struck out somewhere, some way, in some form. And, and what I've realized is a lot of us strike out, but very few of us know how to bounce back. And what I think is I think God wants to see you thrive and not look back on yesterday from 20 years ago and you're still reliving that strikeout. We're in this series called Clutch and we're looking at the life of David. Week one, we talked about for David, off-season workouts, get game time results and who David was in his private life is how God anointed him for his public life. And then last week, a great message by Pastor Harvey, we talked about how to have the courage to take the big shot. And that was David defeating Goliath. And then today, we're going to kind of continue this series with David. And so what's happening with David, if you're following along in this series, is everything in David's life is going up and to the right. Like, it can't get any better. He's like, man, I, I got picked to be the next king. I defeated Goliath. And when he defeated Goliath, he saved his entire country from slavery. Like, do we understand that? Like, like that's a really, really big deal. Imagine you, you saved the entire United States from being slaves. Like you would be the man, you would be the woman. And that's where David is. He's anointed, God's blessing him. Everything is going up and to the right. And this is what I would say, be weary when everything is going up and to the right. Like, like don't, don't have anxiety about it. Just know that's when the enemy wants to attack you and trip you up the most because pride does come before the fall. That's not a fortune cookie. That is the word of God. That is a promise that pride comes before the fall and David David sadly realized that everything was going up and to the right, and then he took a, a hard left-hand turn. And that's where we pick up today in the life of David. If you have a Bible, it's going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Lake County, there's a Bible underneath your seat. That's a gift from us to you. You can take that home with you. We'd love to be able to gift you that Bible. And in that Bible, it's on page 266. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 says this. In the spring, at the time where kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? When kings go off to war, David sent somebody else. Listen, sin often starts when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know that? Sin often starts when you're at the wrong place and the wrong time. David officially hadn't sinned yet. 
but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, that's when Satan attacks the most. And so David is at the wrong place at the wrong time. The army's at war. He's not, and he can't sleep. Do you know that when you're not doing the will of God, it will give you anxiety? Like when the God of the universe is telling you to do something and you don't do it, of course it's gonna keep you up at night. Same thing when we were 12 years old and we were trying to sneak something from our parents, of course it's gonna eat at you. And so here it is, it says, the Bible says, David can't sleep, of course he can't sleep. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. His spirit can't get settled. Some of you, you can't get settled and you can't figure out why it's because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're out of God's will. So I'd say, get back into God's will and you'll experience the peace and the joy that God's called you. So David wakes up, he can't sleep and he goes on top of the palace and he's on top of the palace and he looks over and he sees this woman bathing. She's naked. Her name is Bathsheba. Now listen, I don't know, like it's hard for me to think that David saw somebody bathing and her name happened to be Bathsheba. Like, like what? Like, like if she was jogging, she would be jog Sheba. Like, what is going on? I just, I don't know. I'm going to talk to God about that. So it's just, so David sees her bathing. Okay. Okay. So far he, he can see her bathing and, and accidental and then hurry up and look away. And, and maybe that's not sin. Maybe it is. I don't know. But he sees her bathing, but, but then he goes from seeing to thinking and he goes, I have an idea. And he goes from thinking to speaking. So now he sees and that gives him an idea. Hey, I want to get with Bathsheba. And then he speaks it into existence and he sends a messenger. He says to his wingman, he says, hey, I want you to go find out who that is. So his wingman goes, finds out who it is. And he's like, hey, boss man, I got good news, bad news. Uh, Actually, I only have bad news. Okay. So um, she's married. Okay. So deal breaker. Not only is she married, she's married to Uriah who Uriah is one of your mighty men that literally is fighting the battle right now where you should be. He's fighting for your country and for your God. And the messenger of the wingman is like, so let's like move on to someone else. And Dave's like, no, 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 go get her. And guy's like, man, are you serious? Like I just told you, he's like, yeah, go get her. And so it went from his eyes to his head, to his lips, to his heart and his heart got hard. And he went and grabbed, got Bathsheba and he slept with her. Then a little while later, Bathsheba's like, hey, king, uh, I'm pregnant. I don't know if you know this, but sin grows, it never shrinks. Do you know that? It always grows, it never shrinks. And so this sin is getting bigger and now it's, it's, it's gonna be public. And so David's like, I have an idea. I'm gonna get Uriah some leave time, bring him home so he can sleep with his wife. And so he'll think uh, that it's their child. And so Uriah comes, but the problem is Uriah has too much honor. He's not gonna go home. He literally sleeps at the palace entrance. And David realizes after the first night, he's like, what are you doing at the palace entrance? Why don't you go home? He goes, there's no way I can go home and indulge in what I wanna indulge in when my men are fighting a battle and they don't get all that. He says, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So David's like, are you kidding me? Sin doesn't shrink, it grows. So David's like, I have a plan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a feast and we're gonna party. I'm gonna get him drunk, lower his standards and hopefully he'll, he'll, we'll kind of push him home and, and we'll do it that way. And so he does that. Uh, the only problem is even, even through drinking, he still finds honor and doesn't leave the palace. So David's like, man, this is, this is not gonna work. Sends him back. But then he also sends a messenger 
to the army and says, hey, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to put Uriah on the front line in the most dangerous place. And at that time, I want all the other people to fall back so that he dies. And so David had Uriah killed as he was fighting a battle for both him and God. And then shortly after that, him and Bathsheba get married. That child became a son named Solomon. And we're gonna talk about Solomon and David next week. And I don't know if you've ever sinned and you're thinking like, I think I got away with it. Like a lot of us have. Whether we were five or whether we're 50, we're like, I got away with it. Can I just tell you a little secret? You don't ever get away with sin. Like you know that? Like you may fool yourself into thinking you do so you could have peace. You never get away with sin. God is the God of the universe. He sees everything. He knows everything. You cannot escape God. God is all knowing and he's all powerful. And David begins to settle in his heart and soul. He's like, man, I, I think we made it out of this. I think I, I haven't sinned it. And then all of a sudden in, in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, it says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This may be the most underrated verse in all of scripture. It's like, you think, yeah, if you murder someone and then take someone's wife, that's gonna displease God. And David, as he thinks everything is cool, a prophet by the name of Nathan comes and visit David. He's like, hey, hey, Dave, can we chat? And then they're friends, they know each other. He's like, yeah. He says, hey, hey, Nathan. Nathan says, hey, Dave, can I tell you a story? He says, yes. And he says, there's this story about this, this rich man and this poor man. And both of them have sheep, but the poor man only has one very, very, really young, little, fragile lamb. It's all he has. He loved it and treasured it so much that he actually took it as one of his kids. He would sleep with it. He would hug it. He just took such good care of it. And then the rich man had hundreds, if not thousands. He had plenty of sheep. And then one day this traveler was coming from out of town and the rich man wanted to, to put on a feast to welcome this traveler. And he looked at all of his sheep and he said, no, I don't want to get rid of one of my sheep. I don't want to sacrifice. Let me take one of the sheep from this guy. And so he takes the sheep to prepare a meal. And David is enraged. Like he is livid. He's like, are you serious? That man should die. Like, how could he ever do that? Of course that's wrong. Nathan looks at him. He says, David, you are that man. I said, you're that man. 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. So let me ask you, have you ever blown it? Have you ever struck out? Have you ever dropped the ball when people expect you to come through in the clutch? So again, today isn't geared to rub your nose in it. Today is about how to bounce back after missing the game-winning shot. And we're going to look at an acronym called Ralph, R A L. F. And what we're going to do is we're going to unpack each one of these. And I'm telling you, this can, this can change your, your outlook, your mindset. And I really want you to walk away, not thinking of shame and blame, but how do you bounce back? And this is a, I got to be honest, after the first service, I was emotional with this message because my heart, I don't want you thinking about striking out. I don't want you thinking about what you did 10 weeks ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago. What I want you thinking about is how does God redeem us after we strike out? That's what I want you walking away from. And so the first thing that we're going to learn, the R is for this, it's recognize it. Recognize it. You either, you either recognize it one or two ways. When you, when you strike out, when you miss the shot, you either recognize it or God brings somebody in your life to help you recognize it. David didn't recognize that he struck out. Like, can you imagine I'm in the batter's box and it's strike three and I'm like, hey, where's everybody going? 
pitcher, just throw again. Somebody has to be like, hey, Dustin, game's over. You <laughs> struck out. David couldn't see his own mess, so Nathan came and told him. So here's the question. Who's the Nathan in your life? Who, who is the Natalie in your life? What, let me ask you this. What would happen if somebody loved you so much that they were gonna be honest with you about something that would be destroying your heart and soul? Are you, are you okay with people loving you that much? Are you welcoming people into your life that, that would be able to speak honest truth to you? This is what I know. I think we live in a, in a culture where we are outwardly arrogant and inwardly sensitive. Let me unpack this. So like I'm outwardly arrogant, meaning if my waitress gets my order wrong, I'm confident enough, I'm arrogant enough to tell her what I think about her skills and demand that she gets it right. But I'm too sensitive that if anybody ever were to talk to me the way I talk to her, I'd be in the fetal position. Y'all with me? Like we're outwardly arrogant, but we're inwardly so sensitive. And what I'm trying to encourage us is to be the opposite. Be so thick skinned that people can love you enough to say, hey man, I don't know if you know this, but the way you talk to that waitress, that just, I don't think God would, would like that. I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you realize how you came across. Hey, I, I, was, I was with you the other night, the way you were talking to your spouse, that just didn't seem right. Or hey, hey, I, I'm noticing you're buying all these things and racking up debt. It just seems like you're setting yourself up for failure. Do you have somebody that loves you enough to be able to speak honest truth in your life. This is what I love about athletes. Athletes are so committed to being the best that they can be, they'll let any coach or any person help them achieve that. They'll listen to any voice. And it's like, man, if athletes are willing to listen to any coach that would make them better, how much more should we as believer, as Christ followers, be willing to listen to anybody or anything that's gonna help me become more like my savior, Jesus? I don't wanna say, well, you don't know me, you don't have enough, no, no. If, if it aligns with scripture and with Christ, then I need to listen to that. Hey, hey here, here's a side note. If right now you're getting excited, you're like, man, the pastor has given me permission to go out and call out all my friends and their sin. <laughs> like if this is getting you excited, I got bad news. You're not the person that should be telling other people about their mess. Okay, because some of us are like, oh, this is gonna be good. I got Monday for this guy, Tuesday, like this is not, Okay, if it excites you, you're, you're the wrong person. But I do think you need to have someone in your life that's close enough to you that can recognize how you smell and honest enough to be able to tell you about it. Who is that person? In a moment, I'm gonna share a picture with you and it's gonna create all kinds of emotions. This, this person is the number one person that's talked about in sports for the past month and everybody's got emotions about them. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. Come on, Coach Prime. Yeah, we got some Prime lovers. Prime time. He's been the talk and everybody's talking about him. 20 years ago, you see one of the things I like about Coach Prime is, is he loves Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. You may have noticed that because he doesn't cuss to his athletes. A lot of people have spoken negative. Every coach he's played against has spoken negative about him and he's not said one negative word. You see, Christ is in him and 20 years ago, his pastor died. And an article recently came out talking about this and this is what he said 20 years ago. He said, I knew I needed a spiritual coach in my life. I need a man of that standard and status, listen to what he says, to keep me in check. Deion Sanders has invited a pastor 
20 years ago, which is when he met Pastor E. Dewey Smith to keep him in check. This is his Nathan. And, and Nathan has been on the sidelines of every single game for Deion Sanders the past four years. Before he was in the spotlight at Colorado, he was with him. And, he, and this is what Deion said. He said, I will never go on a field that Dewey and I, Pastor Dewey and I don't go on the field first and pray because that's God's field. That's God's mission field. It's not mine. Isn't that good? Dion's saying, I need somebody to keep me in check. When I was in high school, I had a lot of Christian friends. I, I, remember, I remember this. I had a lot of Christian friends. You know what though? I didn't have a lot of Christian friendships. You're like, well, what's the difference? I had a lot of people that loved Jesus individually, but we didn't love Jesus together. They would read the Bible and I would read the Bible and we would never talk about it. They would pray and I would pray, but we'd never pray together. We had Christian friends, but not Christian friendships. And I remember feeling convicted about that because that's not the way it's meant to be. We're supposed to have Christian community. And so this is what I wanna do so that you can build in Nathan's and potential Nathan's. I wanna give you three quick fate phrases that can help build Nathan's in your life. This is the first one. How are you times two? How are you times two? And this is a phrase I heard, I heard earlier this year, which I, I love. And what this means is we always ask you, hey, how are you? And everybody's like, oh man, I'm good. Praise God, everything's good. Or if you're a negative Nancy, you're never happy. You're like, oh, the sun's up again today. You know, <laughs> like, oh, sorry. It's gonna come up tomorrow, okay? But how are you times two goes above that superficial answer. It says, no, 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 how are you really doing? How are you times? No, 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 how are you really doing? And I'm not saying you ask this in the middle of a party, but you could do this over coffee or over the phone or just anytime you're one on, hey man, how are you really doing? Or the second one is this, burden me. I like this. Hey, what's burdening you that we can burden together? What, what weight or anxiety are you carrying? And let's carry it together. Let me, let me keep some of your burdens. You don't need to carry this alone. Let's walk through this together. And I love that. The third one is this, how can I pray for you? Really simple. How can I pray for you? If we begin to ask these three things and talk about these three things, we begin to have deep, rich Christian friendships that create Nathans in our life. But this is what I'll tell you. You can have people, most of us have somebody in our life. This is so important, listen to this. Most of us have somebody that we value in, in our lives that if they said something to us, we would listen to them. It could be a parent, it could be a mentor. If they said, but chances are they rarely say something because you've never given them a green light. Do not assume people have a green light to speak into your life. You have to tell them they have a green light. And I wanna encourage you this week, go to a relationship, say, I just want you to know if you ever see me go out of bounds with my wife, with my spending, the way I talk, whatever it is, you have permission to call me out, not publicly, but privately, one-on-one, -on -one, kindly, and help restore me back to where I need to be. Do not assume that people need a green light. So the R is recognize it. The second one is this, admit it. I love what Pastor Kevin Queen said. He said, it's what you want to conceal the most that you need to reveal the most so that you can heal the most. Isn't that good? Let me say it again. It's what you want to conceal the most that you need to reveal the most so you can heal the most. What I love is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is what David wrote and it's just his heart. And it's really, really good on its own, but it's really good when you realize Psalm 51 is actually David's prayer and response to, to 2 Samuel with, when he uh, uh, had that relationship with David and Bathsheba. And so what he does in Psalm 51 is he cries his heart out. He admits it and it's a couple verses long, but I wanna read it to you. It says this, it says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So let me ask you, what happens when God calls you out on your mess? Do you deny it? Do you make excuses? Well, everybody's doing it. Well, God, that bar is way too high, so I'm going to lower it. Or do you pour out your heart and say, God, you're right. I blew, I never should have, that's wrong. And you pour out your heart like this. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Isn't that good? Are you defensive? Are you in denial? I see this a lot in dating relationships. People get so infatuated with each other. Like they won't even listen to their best friend or their parents or the people they love and trust the most to speak life because they're, they're just too gone. And they're like, you know what? I'm not gonna listen to Nathan's. And they end up kicking the Nathan's and the Natalie's out of their life because they wanna enjoy their own sin so much. That's a dangerous place to be. I would say this, don't just admit your sin, admit your ability to sin. I get really weary when I hear people talk and say, oh, oh, that, I would never, I would never struggle with that. Whoa, I would really caution that. I know it's hard to say we would struggle with, we, we would actually struggle with some of that. Like, I don't even like saying it. And I do believe it's so far sometimes or this or that. But if I ever get to the point where I, that would never be me, man, that's not a good place. I love what Pastor Bob Russell says. He says, if it happened to the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, if it happened to the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, if it happened to the most spiritual man in the Old Testament, David, then it can happen to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And so here's what I know. I know people, like when we're talking about talking about sin, like I can just feel it. like, man, it's like, man, this is uncomfortable. I don't, who wants to talk about their mess? Who wants to talk about their sin? And so I understand. So what I wanna do is I just wanna walk you through an exercise real quick. Okay, what I want you to do is just take 30 seconds and I, want you, I just want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the deepest, darkest sin you've ever committed, okay? We're going to put the clock up. Just go ahead right where you're at. No, 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 don't do that. Some of y'all are like, you go first. See, not everybody likes it. It's horrible. We're leaving. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Some of y'all, don't do that. Don't do that online. Don't do that Lake County. Hey, can we have fun in church? Come on now. Yeah. First thing you need to do is recognize it. Second thing is you need to admit it. Third thing is learn from it. What do you mean learn from it? Well, next time kings go off to war, you know what you need to do? You need to go off to war. You need to guard up. You see, a lot of times sin starts before sin starts. Do you know that? Did you know that sin starts before sin starts? And when I, I did youth ministry all the time and students would say, hey man, I don't know what to do. Uh, we took our relationship way too far physically. And I don't know why we think this is only student ministry. Like once you're an adult, you're just allowed to sleep around and do whatever you want. No, that's a standard for all of us. But in student ministry, it was like, man, I took my relationship too far physically and, and, and we went past the line. I said, well, tell me, walk me through the night. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. You didn't cross the line when you think you crossed the line. You crossed the line when you put yourself in a home by yourself at night with nobody there for the next couple hours. Your sin started before your sin started. Y'all with me? Like we need to guard up when kings go off to war, go off to war. If you're a recovering alcoholic, don't just say it's a couple drinks with a couple friends. Guard up. Understand where you're vulnerable. I understand I'm happily married, but I'm just going to text or DM this one person. And it's a little bit different of a text than I would this other person, but it's okay. It's not sin. No, it's not sin, but sin starts before sin starts. David would say, hey, listen, what's the big deal? I can't sleep. I'm just stargazing. Like I didn't put Bathsheba there. I was just stargazing. And that's when I saw, listen, guard up. When kings go off to war, go off to war. Gordon McDonald was a, a well-known pastor and, and writer and communicator on marriage. And years ago, he had an affair. And this is what he said. Several years back, I was asked in a forum, what was the one area of my greatest strength? What area would I not have struggled in? And he answered without question, moral purity. And he said, I really believe that. And then listen to what he said. He said, but then Satan took an unguarded strength and it became a double weakness. Isn't that good? Like when we're so confident, we don't guard up here. And he says his, his arrogance led to a double weakness. So the first thing we do is we recognize it. Second thing uh, is admit it. Third thing is learn from it. And then the fourth thing is we forget about it. And that was my, my best Italian mobster accent, okay? Forget about it. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me just tell you what I think many, many Christians make one of two mistakes after we sin. What they want to do is they want to, they, they, they struggle with it. They either do this first one is, is they forget about it like David did. You, you, listen, when we forget about it or when we sin, we can't just forget about it. We have to recognize it. We have to admit it. We have to learn, like there has to be confession. What David did is he sinned and then immediately wanted to forget without the confession. That's not how it works. Some of you, you're trying to forget something and you've never confessed it. And the reason you don't feel forgiven is because you're not forgiven. You can't be forgiven without asking for forgiveness. What you need to do is go back and say, hey God, would you please forgive me for that? Would you forgive me for my sins known and unknown? And this is what Jesus says, absolutely. That's what the cross is for. He says, yes, but you don't assume forgiveness without asking for it. Repentance is a big part of, in the phase of forgiveness. And then I think the other half of people make the mistake of this. They have asked for forgiveness genuinely and they have genuinely repented and God has forgotten about it from the east to the west and you are still thinking about it every day of your life. Some of you are sitting here thinking about something you did wrong 20 years ago and God's forgiven you 20 years ago and you've never moved on. And what you're doing is you're not living the John 10, 10 life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. He said, I came on a cross to set you free and you are still enslaved to your own sin, even though I've forgiven you. So I don't know what it is, but you just need to know God's not thinking about that anymore. And if he's not dwelling on that, if you've already repented, then you need to let it go too. Because this is what I know. 
God has a lot more in store for you and for me. Amen, church? I found a poem recently that it's an author unknown, which means next time I read it, it'll be from me. (laughs) But I like this. It says this, I am guilty, but pardoned. I'm lost, but saved. I'm wandering, but found. I'm sinning, yet cleansed. Now listen, this isn't to glorify our sin. It's to glorify his grace. And I love that. In 1911, there's a baseball team. It's an all-star team in Wyoming. And it's a unique team. These are all prisoners. This is the Wyoming State Prison. It's an all-star team. And the warden came up with a great idea. These are the worst of the worst offenders. These are murderers, thieves, and rapists, it said. And the warden came up with an idea, let's create our own all-star team. And we're gonna play other people outside of prison as a form of entertainment. You wanna talk about clutch. This is what the warden said. He said, if you win, we're gonna take time off your sentence, but if you lose, some of you will die. Talk about pressure. You talk about a lot on the line. They had a lot on the line. Hey, church, listen. They had a lot on the line and so do you. Your marriage matters. Your relationships with your neighbors, it matters. Your relationship with your kids, it matters. Your relationships at work, it matters. I know there's a lot on the line. I know there's a lot on the line, but that's why God gave you his spirit. A couple weeks after I struck out, listen, I don't want anybody coming up to me and say, hey, I went to Lake Mary. Like, just get out of my face. You're not even welcome here. Like, I don't want to hear that junk. I know, listen, this is what I know. I don't remember the guy's name that struck me out, but I'm like, God, you know what you probably are going to do? Like, he probably comes to this church and he wants to make peace. I'm not ready to make peace. Don't come to me. You struck me out. I'm, my counselor and I are working through some things, okay? A couple weeks after I struck out, my coach and I sat down and he said, hey, Dustin, I ended up going and playing college baseball. He said, when you go and play college baseball, he said, the next time you get in the batter's box, you know what I want you to do? He said, I want you to swing away. He said, God made you to swing away and you're a great hitter. He said, the tragedy in this, if you were to let that strikeout define you and never get back in the batter's box. Some of you, you blew up a marriage and so you're never gonna love again. And God said, no, 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 no. I created you to love and to be loved. Get back in the batter's box. And I want you to swing away. Some of you, you blew up a business, but God put in you an entrepreneur spirit. And you're thinking, man, I I can never do that. And God's like, no, 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 you get back in the batter's box and you swing away. Why? Because Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus. Amen? What do we do after we miss the game-winning shot. We recognize it, we admit it, we learn from it, and then we forget it. And then we swing away, church. Let's be a church full of people swinging away. And let's just see what God might might have in store for us in the next coming weeks, months, and years. Amen? Amen? Hey, let's pray. So God, thank you. God, thank you so much for your patience. 
You're not here to shame me for striking out in so many different ways. You're not here to rub my nose in it or my friends, but God, some of us, we've never repented. Would you help us to get to the place of repentance? Some of us have repented and we can't get past the shame. And we've been listening to the enemy for 20 weeks and 20 years. And today's the day that we say no more to Satan. No more lies, no more whispering. We're gonna lean on the truth. We're gonna lean on scripture that we are forgiven, that we are set free in the name of Jesus. So God, would you give us the courage to get back in the batter's box and to swing away, not for our glory, but for your glory. And so God, I pray for that man or that woman that's, that's full of guilt and shame. Would you free them up today in the name of Jesus? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.